0: Literally several of you to turn out. Uh, yeah, uh, I appreciate you probably want to be off doing pre St. Patrick's Day squalls. It's not a thing. It's, uh, not a thing. Uh, it's a thing. No. St. Patrick's Eve's. It's, it's not a thing. Yes, so thank you very much for turning up this evening. Uh, we'll start first as we all do you know, with announcements. Uh, the only announcement I do have is the finally, as you've all know, been asking what the motion is for the Law versus Literary <laughs> Committee next week, uh, sponsored by the Daily Meal. Uh, this time we've introduced capital punishment. The ghost of Lady Diana here. Blah, blah, blah. I'll save yeah. script. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so apart from that, uh, unless you can think of any other questions, I honestly can't think of anything. Moving swiftly onwards to the minutes from last week. Uh, the motion of which was. Whatever i You introduce me again? So I don't have to walk
1: Black, who led a rousing rendition of, a, for she's a Jellywood fellow, in honor of SU election candidates and loyalty Republicans, Rachel Ireland and the senator, <laughs> Mr. John wished to share with us the name of President Donald Trump's health care plan, ingeniously titled The Greatest Health Care Plan of 2017. <laughs> in line with this, Mr. Jeremy Miller asked the House if Press Secretary Sean Spicy Spicer's unique method of assessing the strength of the health care plan was somewhat worrisome. Ms. Keira Campbell claimed that Spice's assertion that Trump's plan was superior due to the number of pages it occupies was deeply symbolic of the current trend of anti-intellectualism. <laughs> Cornell claimed that the more verbose the document, the less transparent it is. Meanwhile, Robert Clark, Morgan Hagman, and Sheridan lauded the simplification of codified law. <laughs> the president's questions are heard from Mr. Matthew Sullivan, who inquires the contents of President Murphy's previous four breakfasts. Under some pressure to maintain his image as a friend of the common man, Mr. Murphy enjoyed a traditional proletarian breakfast of a hot noodle. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel I <laughs> and Kira Campbell both asked the President about his time. once again continuing their contrived attempts to force it into the literary tradition. Stop trying to make the Thai question happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, President Murphy then asked the evening's motion this House would abolish safe spaces. Opening the proposition of the debate was Mr. Conn O'Neill. He began the lobby for John Stuart Mill, which will continue throughout the debate, saying that pretending freedom of speech puts society at risk. He asserted that the proposition didn't lack compassion, but were in fact hoping to make people safer by upholding the value of liberty. He claimed a basis to promote the idea that victimhood trumps freedom before concluding that we must choose intellectual progression over avoiding offence. Opening the opposition <laughs> was Kieran Campbell. Keeping up with the name-dropping of pop philosophers, Ms. Kira campbell child Isaiah Berlin. She claimed both sides are arguing for their own concept of freedom, the proposition believing in negative freedom and the opposition putting forth positive freedom. She criticized the proposition for misapplying the clinical term, trigger warning, and and concluded by informing the house that absolute freedom of some individuals must be sacrificed to ensure that mentally ill people are not made to suffer. Continuing with the case of the proposition main speaker, Ms. Lauren O'Neill. She opened by saying that nobody has the right to not be offended, and that universities should be vanguarded of social progress. She asked who will be responsible for defining the boundaries in these safe spaces, and asked if the phenomenon has gone too far when we allow no white men events to take place. She claimed that Martin Luther King didn't fight for rights within the confines of a protected space, before concluding that rights uh, the, that rights which aren't exercised are eventually lost. Continuing the debate, uh, for the opposition was Shrima Kerr. She decried the proposition for the apparent assumption that safe space encompasses an enormous geographical area, as opposed to one room. She also wished to dispel the supposedly hyperbolic examples of safe spaces peddled by the, uh, by the proposition, asking the House to consider whether it correct to abolish spaces for victims of rape to talk about their experiences without fear of victim blaming. She claimed that safe space would provide a temporary place for victims of trauma to gain confidence for the outside world, and reflecting this won't hinder freedom of speech. The proposition was to Connor Ardell. He asked the House which section of society should be the rightful recipients of a safe space, commenting that there is rarely a call to create safe spaces for young Protestant boys. He derived the safe space culture of reclaiming words using technical esoteric language, which the layman would not comprehend, and claimed that to create safe spaces in the assumption that everyone within his democratic had a shared experience is naive. Thirdly, for the opposition was former NC President, Mr. Kieran Gallagher. He claimed that the proposition was unable to define exactly what the safe space was, and claimed that thus far the debate had made sweeping statements about mental illness, which no one at the table that evening was actually qualified to comment on. He claimed that safe spaces existed for years and formed societal staples such as Alcoholics Anonymous, Psychiatrists, Confession, and even Orange Halls. He claimed that the argument of freedom of speech in this context was naive, and we should instead protect the right to assembly. Concluding for the proposition was DUP Councillor for Castle Raysow, Nathan Anderson. Mr. Anderson talked of his own history of mental health issues, claiming that in his experience safe spaces were not helpful, as no space could truly be safe from one's own thoughts. He labeled safe spaces as examples for absolute monarchy rather than those of liberal democracy, and then concluded by saying that what society and culture defines as respect must often be challenged in the pursuit of free speech. Concluding with the opposition until the debate, which Matthew Bradley, he criticized the proxies of statements that safe spaces would private individuals of their. Freedom of speech, claiming that people can say whatever they want outside the confines of this minuscule space. He asked if it was beyond the realms of reason to dare challenge an individual's right to say absolutely anything, absolutely everywhere, before concluding that anyone who has been to the Clay Library has benefited from being in a -A 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 safe space. Questions were heard from Jamie Cargill, Tom McGuinness, Hugh Dobbin, Rob Weinert, Morgan Heyman, and Zach. What's your second name, sir? Kegel. It's I A vote based on House opinion prior to debate was taken, which read thirty-one eyes, nineteen abstentions, and seven. Uh, sorry, nineteen names and seven abstentions. And finally, a casting vote based on Speaker's performance was taken on the motion. And this house for the state spaces, which read thirty eyes, five names, and sixteen abstentions. The motion is defeated by ten minutes' threat.
0: Uh, Aye. you. <laughs> so we turn now to the members. I don't have
2: any questions they'd like to raise before the house any issues they'd like to discuss? Anybody move? Uh, back a little okay. So the Queen has decided, has signed the Article 50 bill finally. She's over there. Um, <laughs> it's a recent photo. And um, so I would like to ask the house um, how they would like Theresa May to deliver Article 50 to the EU Parliament. I would personally like her to see her riding the tank outside of Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, to repeat that, what mode by which would you like Theresa May to deliver the official ad to the European Parliament? Mr.
3: don't I think what we need is a solid red, white, and blue Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> Does that answer the question? Yes. <laughs> it was good enough for her, it's good enough for us. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Black.
4: Um, if anybody here has seen the fantastic film Dr. Strangelove, you may be familiar with at the very end, where the pilot of the plane gets on the atomic bomb and writes it as it falls out of the plane. <laughs> I think that would be pretty cool, <laughs> would probably not an atomic
3: bomb, that would probably be not great. An atomic bomb of ideas. Yes! Sorry, not know. Anyone else have any questions? Is that
0: or not?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't do it jumping into the sand, could you please? Sign. <laughs> the uh, the red heaven
6: runs through us. Yeah, I know what the sign is. <laughs> what you say before? <laughs> um, um,
0: does anyone have anything that doesn't
5: involve Theresa May? No, not you. No, no, I uh, do you actually have something. Uh, you actually to have a question? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, this, this sort of came up in the letter form, which you all should join, and you members. Um, you just have to put in a request. And if you're not, message anyone on council. Exactly, like me. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but uh, this came up, uh Sheffer, that was not too long ago about um, an article promoting the lack of right-wing voices on campus which uh, proved some ire, and was recently echoed uh, in an article by uh, that that great mind, Nelson McCausland, uh, (laughs) who ended his article in saying, what was the exact words? I have identified a problem and the consequences, and now it's up for universities to figure out what to do about it. Which is frankly pretty easy. So I asked the house: why do they think that there are not so many right wing voices on campus, whether that's research or, or t- staff or in the studentship? Mm-hmm. I don't like to
0: respond that. You replied to
7: that. Oh, Miss
5: Arrows? Yeah. Um, I think there's an assumption that universities
7: are often automatically left wing spaces, uh, which Oddly, might lead more traditionally right-wing voices to to stay quiet, not out of fear or anything like that, but because of a a sense of apathy. And having done student elections, apathy is the word of the day. (laughs) That's not true. Um, Yeah, I think there's a sense of there's not always a willingness to kind of push things out
4: because
8: of an
7: assumed backlash that there might not be.
4: yeah, and it's just kind
7: of grey, I and not trying.
3: Would anyone like to pick up about what points, Mr. Dalton? Oh, well, so I was just speaking in like the context of specifically this society. One of the main reasons why I like to come here, what I think one of the best things about it, is that I think here, more than what you at least really stereotypically expect out of universities, there's a great diversity of opinion, at least within what we have here, and I think that's one of the good things about it. Maybe in wider student circles or areas or universities, universities, it's true. There's a lack of representation of right wing voices, but I think that as far as it's concerned here that's not the case, Whether we at least welcome opposing opinions. But I think it's in as Rachel said, wider in the university, it kind of attracts those left wing voices and whether or not someone of a different opinion either doesn't want to speak or feel what they say will be discredited by it. But decided here, here. Here, here.
5: Here. Sure. Really <laughs> much if <definitely. laughs> not
6: regretting. the
3: same of diversity of speakers. I think I saw a pop up from there as <laughs> well. Yeah, I was just going um, yeah, no, there definitely is, like, if you look at the union as a whole, there definitely is a domination of left-wing voices. Maybe not in the latter effort, but definitely, um, if you look at the student officer team and the, um, into the council and stuff. So. But I actually do think it would be a good idea if you had more right-wing voices, because um, then you could get an actual debate going, instead of people just sitting around and like, talking to people to agree with. Um, so it's not actually happy to have a domination of
0: voices,
6: but...
3: Yeah.
0: I take from that that the SU should be more like us. Uh, that's, that's a spirit.
9: That's
10: one. Aside from that debate, do we think that given the current structure of the SU, would we ever see a you know a even mildly centrist candidate ever Nathan Nephinam. Like huh? Nephinam. The
0: current
1: state. Yes, no,
0: that's starting to get into a debate that's a little bigger than the actual topic that it's sub to. So, uh, uh, I'll defer my private <laughs> business. Oh, uh, okay. uh,
5: Well, actually, I, I would like to say that we have seen that happen, for example, I, I believe, I know, on Facebook, the tech. Um, that uh, Was it UCD or is it TCD? They're both an anti choice. Um, candidate elected as their president who was explicitly running on an anti choice uh, campaign. And it so sort of follows that, that minority group of students can indeed hijack an election, much like how our, our minority groups of students already hijack elections, just they tend to be left wing.
0: And on that, can we
8: move on to the yeah. Or does anyone have any issues they would like to bring forward? So, Australia's got this whole thing where if you don't vaccinate your kids, you would fined and stuff. But they don't like it if you don't vaccinate your kids in Australia. And now, the Australian Prime Minister has said what they want to do is institute a scheme whereby if your child isn't vaccinated, they are not allowed to go to a preschool or a daycare center you know, to protect all these vaccinated children or children who cannot get vaccines because they're originally wrong. Should the government be penalizing people for not vaccinating their children? Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Cargo, uh, we did have a debate on this last year and um, I think it's yeah, on the internet yeah. if people want
5: to... we'll have
6: a recording <laughs> record
5: on literific.org. I think, no, 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 no. Just go on archive.org and search litterific and you can find all of our recordings there. Woohoo!
0: Who are the edges? Who are the
5: pieces? Me, okay. Well, okay, I was, okay, I do, yeah. Uh, that.
0: Was that the point, or read,
2: really just pointing out have point to anyone interested in what he said.
0: Thank you for that. I that. <laughs> Mr. Neal, you've <laughs> had your hand up. Uh,
10: yeah, sure. Um, so I do believe the government should penalise in the, in the sense that uh, the role of government is to look after its citizens. Now, how involved it gets in that capacity, I think, is very much true. But it should definitely get involved.
0: Thanks for as elaborating on that point there.
1: Uh, Ms. Um, I
7: think the issue, well, this is just me kind of throwing stuff out there. I think, would the issue not be to do with incentivizing people and parents to vaccinate their children instead of penalizing them for not? Would that not be a better kind of motion to move forward instead of like a punishment scheme, an incentive scheme to actually get people thinking about? Vaccinations
0: and toxic events? Would anyone argue in favour of an uh, incentive rather than an option? Is
6: that
9: a hard word? Incentives cost money. I would argue that's not a The
2: incentive is you're tired of not dying, your face is mostly rebellious. I'm sure that should be enough to make you vaccinate your child. I'd say that there's no point in having a vaccination, sorry, an incentive. <laughs> Incentive because I think people have already made up their minds whether they're going to have a vaccination or not. It's it's religious reasons why people don't have them, it's not because they can't afford them or they're paranoid and have jobs. Yeah, Yeah. that as well. Harsh, harsh. Harsh. Uh, Um, I think the big problem with that is you're now punishing
11: the child there, and at the end of the day, the parent is the one who's in control, the parent's making the child's decisions at that point, but you're punishing the child by not letting them get an education. Is that really fair?
0: Uh, does anyone want to take up on that, us? Yourself, sir? I'd
1: say it's uh, closer to child abuse, not um, forcing the child to be vaccinated, and I think the parents shouldn't really be in control of the decisions of the child if they can't make a simple decision as that to save their life. Mr. And also on
9: the point of uh, not having a disincentive for it, um, is the
2: point not of this not to protect the other children from getting these diseases that could potentially
0: kill them? True, true. Does anyone want to take up on that point?
11: Going once? Going twice? Okay. Well, there is the element of herd immunity and things for people who can't actually be vaccinated. But to me, I imagine that there's quite a small proportion of people who are vaccinating their children. And to be honest, is there really a massive risk of them transmitting these viruses to other children? At the end of the day, it seems like that's just a front
8: to get people to do the appropriate thing, which is vaccinated. vaccination. Mr. Seldom? In Australia, the vaccination rate is 93%, which isn't enough to protect people who cannot actually get vaccines. Um, what could I ask them? Would you have to know? What
11: the percentage of the population is who can't actually receive vaccines due to allergic reasons?
8: No idea. <laughs> but seven percent of the population puts those small portion in danger.
0: And on that note, we'll move on to present questions. I think it's time to business this evening before we go on with the staff and business. So, if anyone has any questions to me whatsoever on any topic, anything at all, anything really interesting,
8: anything that's happened in the past week, Mr. Sullivan. Well, this has actually happened last week, presumably. Uh, what did you have for breakfast today?
0: To be fair, I actually had quite a nice breakfast this morning. Like, I went around the corner of the shop and I had two really nice sausage rolls. Um, I even remembered to buy ketchup this time. Stacey, so, Stacey, yeah. So, uh, Very of you. <laughs> <laughs> excitement out of the way. I don't have any other questions
2: that aren't tedious. Uh, so it's really tedious. Who created the whole um, breakfast thing? It was time in Memorial.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I believe Kate Ashby able to be happy with And uh, they killed him. I believe this answer was something about breakfast not battering because he was no longer in the garden of Eden. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yourself, sir? Mr. Yes, president, are you suggesting that Neville was the first letter of the president? <laughs> I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying that the the debate Um, situation has been going on for many years, literally several years. I'm slightly more serious.
4: Is this another question? Yes, I'm 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 slightly more serious. Yes, I'm wondering, what what do you make of the the usual turnout? plan? Any comments on (laughs) St. Patrick's Day festivities and posts? We'll
0: (laughs) see. Mr. Whitehurst over there wants to do a a session in just a minute, which I believe we should probably squeeze in just before the debate because it's quite fun. you wanted to do on the motion of uh, relevant to your question, I'm not just kind of randomly segueing on for that. Um, this House believes that uh, celebrating, Patrick said, cultural appropriation.
9: Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do we
0: want to start on that? Do we have any volunteers for starting
1: on that? That sounds like something you should be get in the actual appreciation and appropriation debate. Yeah. We have not that be well at all. Yeah, so
0: so four and uh, up. Uh, pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have my clock at the ready. Yes. Um, let <laughs> <in, there's laughs> <in, there's laughs> This is this yeah. <laughs> is So, starting now, does anyone want to take up the motion? Oh, but I've got my clock to the right position. Um, you yeah. um, Starting now, but anyone want to take up the motion? This I believe, uh, That's... So to
5: just, just to make things clear, I'm not taking part. Why? Because I am the Jam Battle Royale Champion of the Literary Cup currently. Craig himself
1: and you know. of <laughs> And this
5: is the competition to see who can take part in the Fatal Four Way of the AGM. Four Way? I mean, it?
0: I, I'm not going I'm, I'm to lie, like, we haven't worked out how the rounds, are going to work each week, like, there's no like, karate kids.
6: Uh, out See, life. I was typing my like, points-based system, um, and I've worked out the points. I'll <laughs> call <On, on> that, <laughs> that I'll say, so call that thing. But,
5: but, wait, are the other three going to leave <laughs> <laughs> I'm six. We're not trying to, you know, turn anyone off this. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. What,
1: what, what, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. Right, I think we have got to be long enough. Uh, does anyone want to start off on the clock?
7: Anyone on the clock? We'll start off on the clock. OK, starting right now, this house believes that celebrating to Patrick's Day is possible appropriation. I'm still encouraging to have today a cultural approach because if you're not driving snakes out of the country, then it's not really your place to do anything along those lines. And we know that Bell is going to be littered with people dressed in robes like the great saint himself. But on the point of the man, uh, the myth,
6: the legend.
7: The <laughs> <reason>. <laughs> uh, when you aren't even Irish, that's a form of cultural appropriation itself, arguably, it? because we all know he wasn't, he didn't come from Ireland at all, uh, and he just jumped over here, I
1: say jumped as if he wasn't even captured by the yeah, yeah. Uh, Um Yes, I do believe that Celibates understands
4: cultural appropriation. For the simple fact that cultural appropriation is so broadly and vaguely defined, and we really don't know what truly falls under it, what deserves. To be called cultural appropriation, and to that extent, I think that celebrating St Patrick's Day really is an unfair taking off the Irish culture
0: and music. Uh, yes, yeah. that's far less exciting than it looks. Let's get my slow, dulcet tones. Real, quite a baster. Right. Eh? Moving swiftly on to <laughs> the next item. This that House believes in a free NHS at point of service. Uh, welcome to the floor. First speaker for the proposition. Uh, Tech Officer Emeritus, uh, mister Calvin's wife.
4: Thank you. Good evening, one, A uh, quick word of warning before I begin. I am primarily a comedy debater, And while I'm sure that Mr. Miller and Mr. McAleman, or, to give him his proper title, Mini Miller, find the idea of government children the responsibilities of healthcare to be positively colourful, I shall not be taking the humorous approach tonight. For the most part. Uh, (laughs) Now, I need to define some things. To begin with, I want to tell you that the proposition strategy for tonight shall be for myself to begin by extensively defining the motion and laying the broad foundations of our argument. Mr. Davidson will fill in the final details and Mr. Beck will figuratively beat the opposition over the head of a baseball bat. But don't worry, any damage he inflicts will surely be taken care of by wonderful national anthem. Free to charge. Now, we in the Proposition acknowledge that there is no such thing as free health care. We knew it always has to be paid for at some point. And in the UK, it is paid for from a portion of our, or more likely for this, from our parents' taxes. But the point we are arguing me off my room, is that a healthcare system without upfront costs that is free at the point of use is both morally and pragmatically superior to the alternative, and thus it is what we should choose to have. It is not the job of the opposition tonight to convince you that the NHS is an imperfect system, nor that healthcare systems of other countries are in some regards superior to our own. It is their job to convince you that a healthcare system that requires upfront payments in order to utilise it is superior to one that does not. The question I seek to address tonight is why would we keep the NHS for point of use? Now, brace yourselves. I have some bad news. The NHS is in crisis. You don't see that Jack. That's fair enough, actually. There seems to be a news report to that effect almost every week now. Uh, not enough doctors, long waiting times, doctors on strike, efficiency savings, the widow of the left, 470, etc. etc. The NHS has problems. We in the population don't deny that. To quote the wonderfully named Dick Tabern, the fundamental reason is that its costs rise much faster than the growth of GDP or national income. We live longer, and the older we get, the more medical care we need. Newly expensive drugs and surgical procedures cure diseases that were incurable before. So, the problem it seems is that in order to keep the NHS operating at the level to which we have grown accustomed and uh, maintaining the standards and such, we have to come, blah, 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 blah. We need to devote a larger amount of the money we have to spend to it.
3: And that's the point. Go for it. Spending on the health services instead of. Stand up. Spending in the health service has been steadily increasing for decades and the decline has only quickened. Okay. If you're spending more on it, what are you actually spending? We're spending more, yes, but not enough. If we're spending extra penny a year, that's hard, for
4: now, that's an example. That's hard keeping uh, up to you know, speed with the uh, requirements that are being placed upon it in this moment uh yes, the permanent. Uh, there are three ways the government can acquire more money than it can spend First, to raise taxes, which is perennially unpopular and contrary to the general ideology of our government. The second is to increase the GDP of the country. If any sure was a simple way to do this, we would already be doing it. But there's isn't not nothing. The third is to borrow more, which is undesirable for a whole host of reasons that I don't intend to go into now. Uh, but I'm sure most of you already know what's in the are. So what do we do? The country can't simply continue to accumulate debt. That's totally unsustainable. And eventually, the bill will come due. So, what <coughs> just do we cut maintain, or increase? Literally no one has an answer to this that will make everyone happy. All I know is this. I'm about four minutes into my speech, and I of you probably think, and probably rightly so, that I have yet to address the motion. the reason why I have talked about I have thus far is to illustrate a single point. We, as a country, do not make enough money to live uh, in the style to which we have grown accustomed. There's not a system in this country that is perfect, be it education, infrastructure, or anything else, and yes, healthcare and yes. they all need more resources, more money. We can't stop funding any and any cuts we make to them will an attempt at of will be noticed. Um as well repercussions. But of the services we could potentially discontinue. The ability for anyone in this country to not have to worry about how they are going to pay for healthcare care when they get sick is not one of them. Uh, yes, it is expensive, but it is also worth it. To live in fear is a terrible way to live. And to live in fear of death, of pain, of being unable to provide for your family because if you get sick and have to stop working, you don't have access to healthcare or get it will worse. Or if you do have access to it, but access it will leave you with a crushing amount of debt, is not a way of life that a country as well developed as others should allow like to exist. I want to add a sort of practical demonstration that might not work for the lower than number of people have a shop. Who here has a mobile phone with a cracked screen? Quick show of hands. Okay. Also, who here knows of someone? Uh, or, yeah, knows of someone who has a cracked screen? Okay. There's no reason why someone would actively want a cracked screen, right? Uh, but a lot of people who have cracked screens don't get them fixed because, as far as I can tell, uh, if, 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 uh, they either think the damage is reasonably minor. Or they don't have the money to get it fixed. Or technically they do, but it's not a high priority to warrant the not inconsiderable expenditure. i put to you that it is the same with healthcare. The reason why people in this country go and see their doctors is because the service is free at the point of use. If they had to pay upfront costs, or go going would increase their insurance premiums, a lot of people wouldn't do it, preferring instead to hope their bodies will heal themselves. nothing. Like, uh, no, sorry. Um,. Heck, we have a fairly many health healthcare in this country, and I'm fairly very, very certain that a number of us have done just that. A healthy populace is a productive populace. And while you can't really force people to seek treatment when they are sick, you can incentivise them to do so by making the system free at uh, the point of use. Much like with that uh, vaccinations thing, you can't really, it's not such a good idea to force people, but incentivising them is slightly better. So, yes, the NHS is going through a difficult time. But there has to be a point to all of this. For the most part, we are at least ourselves and <laughs> the world at large. And we have the fifth highest GDP in the world. What is the end goal, if not to be better? To go beyond? A healthcare system that is free of the point of use is a fundamentally good thing. The question should not be if we should keep it, but how do we keep it sustainable? And on that then I urge you to vote in favour of the motion tonight. Thank you.
2: Opposition, Mr. John okay, um Mr. President and members of the House, the, a little bit of rebuttal first. The um, the first prop spoke about cracked screens a little bit there. Um there's a bit of economic theory as well behind cracked screens. As you when we have healthcare, when we have a phone, we buy insurance on our phone. Every single person probably has insurance here, I'm okay, getting no, people don't. But, I have insurance, but when you give the risk of your phone breaking to someone else, i.e. the insurance company, you're beca- going to become a lot more riskier with that phone. You're less likely to buy a cover for the phone, you're going to leave it run the house somewhere, you to keep it protected in your pocket all the time. It's a little bit like with healthcare as well, when it's free and when we've got no costs to it ourselves, personally, we start to become a bit riskier with our health. It's like a parked car with insurance, you know, you're not going like, to leave it down an alleyway if it's not got insurance, but if it has insurance you might think, who me, maybe I might. But, onto my speech. Thank God for the it, yes, it means that poor people can get access to really rubbish healthcare, well the poor pay out of their noses for it. We're receiving bad health care for ideological reasons. Nigel Lawson was entirely right. The NHS is the closest thing that we that the English people have now to a religion. People have managed to convince themselves that there are only two types of healthcare systems in the world, the UK or the US. I prefer the NHS over the US system, but there are still better alternative systems on there. The NHS is free at the point of delivery, but as the prop has already said, we're paying on a noses to get to the point oh, of delivery. On that point, sir? Um, I mean, Funny enough, if cancer patients were treated in the Netherlands, there would be 9,000 more people survived, 12,000 more people would live in Germany. Yeah?
10: He's trying to say we wouldn't be paying for our noses, you yeah, know,
2: the privatisation. system. I think we would be, and we would be a lot more. The we'll, we'll take, for example, Singapore, who have the best healthcare system in the world. They pay half as percent of GDP than we pay, and they still have the best system in the world. Belgium, if you went to Belgium and you had cancer, next, You would have 14,000 more life saves. We have some of the highest avoidable death rates in Western Europe. Um, okay, so... Um, so the Commonwealth Study, which is a bit biased for the NHS, but i to mentioned it anyway, has actually said that health outcomes in the NHS is second to last against developed countries. Um, if um, the ECHI, the European-wide healthcare service, has ranked the NHS as fourteenth, and it is thirtieth it's its for waiting times and sixteenth
4: for healthcare outcomes. Yes. Sorry? Yes. Okay. Oh, do you want to um, the first prop says, said they weren't putting forth the case that the NHS was the best system. Uh, are you arguing against the NHS or um, free point of uh, use
2: in general? Both. Uh, both at exactly the exact same time. Um, so, we'll just see where I can get that out of Okay, i talk about, a bit more about Singapore than since. That was popular. Uh, so Singapore pets spend about four point nine percent of GDP on healthcare. Um and it is not free to point of use. And um, they actually have better somehow better healthcare because of it. Um, it's because the government forces people to save money in a private health account. Um, and over time that creates um, they poor people get paid for them, but that's fine. eighty um, <laughs> yeah, percent of yeah, sorry. i yeah. oh, wow. That sounds a lot like tax, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I <don't know>. No. not. <laughs> People pay directly before they receive the healthcare, it's not really the point of use. Um, it is commonly said that healthcare is oh, wait, home page. Um, so there are many arguments about the efficiency of the NHS. Are we spend might spend less than any other country, most countries, sorry? Um, but that would be um, sort of, thinking of? rationing. Um, but if the NHS isn't actually efficient at all. The, the NHS spends about £4 for a packet of paracetamol. We spend in Tesco 25p, which would be next door to the NHS. The NICE, which helps create the NHS cheaper. Um, well, it actually tells patients that if they want to have two working eyes, sorry, it, it says that this is NIC policy, sorry. Treatment should be applied to one eye, and the other should be allowed to go blind. I read that in the undercover comments if source. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, yeah, give me the book next And um, it is commonly said that healthcare- On yeah. so that Yeah. How is this related to the NHS being frequently used, rather often just
10: the healthcare system within itself in particular? Like, what? This debate is about why it shouldn't be the free point of use and you haven't
2: addressed that call. Okay, sorry. So the NHS has a set amount of cash every every year, they're given a set amount of money that they can spend on healthcare services. They can spend it in an unlimited amount of ways, but it is not keeping up with patient trends. And that's a, probably a fundamental issue with a set budget for the NHS. And the NHS kind of survived of the way because that's that's how you collect money for a government run system. Um, the NICE is fundamental. It's, it's necessary to ensure that patients get quality of care while keeping within the, the tax system. Um, but I would quite quickly like to say that the NHS isn't actually free at the point of use right now because we've already oh shit. So I good. So um. Okay,
6: so, um
2: Cancer treatments, cancer patients actually have to pay for the drugs themselves. The um, the the ECHI, I think it was. Oh, I'm just gonna check that one. It actually said that patient, cancer patients in the UK are paying for their own drugs. Um and, and even then, the, the patient, as I already said about the I system are already getting pretty bad uh, pretty bad deals with if this so called freedom of from someone can go privately and get a much better uh, system. I'd just like to finally say that all religions die in the end, so let's hope this one dies nice later. <laughs>
0: the proposition.
11: Said, I'm not saying that the NHS is perfect, but one thing that I think was not really addressed was how privatisation would fix these issues. Yeah, it would give us more money, so we could do more spending, but according to the opposition, the NHS is inefficient and pretty structured and all these other things, and are those really something or problems that are going to be fixed by having more money, or are they just simply things that need to be fixed by massive overhauls of how we actually organise the delivery of services? The other thing was mentioned that um, not all uh, health services currently free at the point of use. Well, neither is dentistry, um, neither is a lot of things. We I mean, know not everything is free at the point of use. So we're just saying that
5: you can't get the majority of your health. On the point, sir, uh, go ahead. On the point of, uh, of privatisation, <laughs> we're not necessarily putting forward that services in the NHS uh, should be private, to be clear just that not all services should be free. Well that's understandable but again
11: just because some of you have private services and free services that's not to say that that's going to fix the problem because a lot of the time you could have maybe the same services being delivered in the same way because you're not actually addressing the problems with the system or how the system delivers these services. So I'm going to move on with my speech and uh, Mr. Black was going or talking to you about how there's sort of a moral basis for the NHS being free at the point of use, and how there's also um, sort of a logical basis in terms of there's almost more efficiency to it being free at the point of use. So I'll address both of those. The uh, first thing is the moral basis. So the NHS was obviously founded on three main principles: to meet the needs of everybody, to be free at the point of delivery, and be based on
2: clinical needs, not the ability to pay. not point. Um, How can it meet the needs of the patient if it says to a a patient that you can only have one working eye? Right, well, obviously there are going to be compromises, but ultimately
11: we would argue that being free, the point of view, is that the system which is fair to most people, which is the principle of justice. so ultimately the foundation we build our healthcare system on is that treatment is delivered on the basis of need. Those who need treatment are those who get treatment, not those who can afford treatment. And honestly that's something I can say with pride. you know, at the end of the day, we don't discriminate between someone who's rich and poor. If you're sick, you get treatment, and I'm really, really happy about that. I think a lot of people are happy about that in this country. I think there's a lot of approval for the NHS, it was referred to as almost a religion but I don't believe that's the case. I believe people have a reason to actually love the NHS. Um, and <laughs> so the thing I'm going to argue is, once you begin charging for things, um, and whether that's you know, a, a big, big thing like making people pay for their operations, or small things like charging for, say, a prescription fee, then you sort of cross the line. You've kind of broken the foundations that the NHS is actually built on, which is to be free at point of use. And I know this is going to sound silly, it's sort of a slippery slope, you know, where do you stop once you've started with that entire thing? Um, because once you've said it's okay to charge someone for one service, you know, it's okay to charge them for nearly any
10: service, and it's sort of... Oh, go ahead. But the NHS is already doing that, as you've already outlined. So why has it kept out in the way? So surely that's what Well,
11: I still feel like if anyone needs any serious matter of treatment, um, they can choose to pay privately, I believe, but there will always be a free service available for them. I believe that's the line which you can take. Um, and and that, that's pretty much that moral argument. People have a right to you know, feel safe about their health. They have a right to always receive treatment regardless of their financial status. And once you start charging for anything, you've kind of broken that trust and it's going to lead to a place where people don't feel that safety anymore. The other thing I'm going to argue is that private healthcare and the use of private healthcare providers actually decreases the quality of service, um, and there are sort of three main problems with that. Um, but they all sort of focus around this one main thing, which is that a private healthcare provider is a business. On oh, that point, <laughs> yeah, I've nothing. Um, so a private healthcare provider is a business. Their purpose is to make a profit, and as a result, everything within which they do is going to be focused on making profits. So when it comes to quality versus profit, they're going to pick profits. So they're going to begin doing things like cutting the quality of care in order to, um, sorry, I declined. They're going to do things like cutting the quality of care in order to um, cut their costs and make more money. On that point. I declined. And that may sound silly, that may sound stupid, but it's simple little things like not doing enough follow-up treatments and that costs less money. Or not hiring enough nurses to properly staff a ward that costs less money, and yes, they may not seem like significant things, but they can have quite serious repercussions. Uh, there was an article written by the Guardian that showed that six people were feared to have suffered irreversible sight loss because of failings of a privately run provider, and that's simply because that provider didn't follow up on aftercare. On that point, um, no thanks. Uh, so, the point that I'm making here is basically that. These private healthcare providers they don't care about quality. Um, In comparison, doctors in the NHS, and the fact that the publicly funded system doesn't have to focus on saving or making money. They can put the patient at the core of everything. Continuing on with that, there's no real reason for um, private healthcare providers to try and be accountable for their actions. Um, Obviously, within our current system, we try to foster this policy of openness and trust and that allows for improvement of services because we can admit our mistakes and we can admit our problems and that lets us work on them. But the reason we can do that is because we don't have to worry about is a patient going to pick us because our statistics have fell slightly. In comparison, a private care provider is sort of going to go, well, our, our results have been a bit low, so are they going to fudge the numbers? Are they going to withhold bad numbers to protect their reputation and again try and turn a profit? I had a bit more to say, but ultimately, the point I'm trying to get across is that private platform providers aren't concerned with quality, they're concerned with profits. Whereas, in a system that's funded publicly and doesn't have to worry about making money, we can really, really just sort of. <coughs> Thank you so much. That's the opposition, Mr. P. Dalton.
3: To come here to listen to me today. No. <laughs> Just me. I <laughs> would like to begin today by addressing the two main points I am making, which is the wastefulness which currently goes on within the NHS and also how we're going to try and make it more fit for purpose. Now, I would like to start by rebutting some points made by the proposition. Firstly, to what the second proposition says, where he spent the latter half of his speech making a tirade about the inefficiencies of private companies. And yes, There are many inefficiencies about private companies. But I would like to divert to Mr McLenan's speech and wonder at what point did he say we're going to commandeer the NHS with private companies. The majority of the speech was talking about the systems in Singapore, about insurance, about taxes. We were not saying to call near by private companies, we were proposing alternatives to making it free at the point of use, which is entirely different from the non-existent points that you were trying to refute. Now, the second point I would like to move on to is what has been flaunted tonight about the NHS's status as a religion, and on this point I completely agree. This is what the proposition have been using as a shield. There is some prolific status of the NHS held in Britain, in the UK, that means we can't try and attack it. And this is what they have tried to do. They've taken this moral high ground, this is our free health care, this is the monument of British society, and this is what it's all about. And they use this to deflect from the points. that they're damaging them. Nigel Farage last year, wiped his 350 million like the Holy Grail. It completely ignores inefficiencies which we need to tackle, which is why, once again, this problem falls apart. Now, we need to look first. On that point? Yes? Why do you yeah. open the Daily Mail? Why do you open the Times
10: every week and the NHS has done this, the NHS has done that, if that's the case?
3: Because they say these are all the problems with it, but as soon as anyone tries to promote any kind of significant change, to how it functions, like what we're trying to do by stopping it being free at the point of use, it instantly gets shot down. People will come out in droves, they will say, this is our free healthcare, this is what we need. At that point, they start saying it's perfect because they're afraid. We need to recognize what's wrong with the system and say that it needs real change. And it does need real change because of what's going on with the way the NHS currently exists. We We need only look as far as the waiting lists. They are dreadful. You're saying that the NHS is free at the point of use, but you completely ignore the fact that the point of use is incredibly prolonged, and not easy to get to. Uh, Yes? Um,
10: Yeah, okay, so, following the point of use, the NHS has some of the best heart uh, surgery uh, statistics Mm -hmm. in the world. and It's also some of the best trauma care in the world. Um, what we're talking about here is inefficiencies in localised areas such as, Northern Ireland and how they've spent
8: uh, in this standard in terms of boots. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Well, see, that's the point because I do not trust Edmund and Boots, i never been, but... <laughs> <laughs> If we stop making the NHS free at the point of use, it allows us greater responsibility for what the NHS does. We are going to be able to tackle the inefficiencies in the system where it runs. The areas of the NHS which are greatly underfunded, for example, mental health provisions, especially in Northern Ireland. If it's not being dominated by a budget, if we have systems of insurance in place, this gives greater control over citizens when we are accessing our own health care via our own means, that so we are able to direct the way that our healthcare can go. Because at the end of the day, the NHS is there to serve the citizens, not Edwin Putz. It's obviously for Edwin Putz as well, but everyone else needs it. So, um, what else are we going to say? What else are we going to say? Yes, the three main principles as brought forward by the second speaker, speaker of the proposition. The NHS is already failing in all three of these principles. It already has, as far as I'm concerned, failed in all three. It is not providing even free healthcare at the point of use as it is because, whether you believe it on Tory governments way back when Blair was in charge, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. The point is that we've been moving steadily more and more towards privatized healthcare. Obviously the proposition will stay, but we're keeping it free at the point of use. But you have not addressed the fact of this, as we've said, slippery slope, no. As time has gone on, it has become more and more privatised. You have offered no solution as to how you can keep it free at the point of use, while still addressing, no, the structural and cost-related inefficiencies in the system that privatisation has been brought in to try and mitigate. And we do not want the NHS to be entirely privatized. If Craig Miller had stayed on speaking tonight, we probably would be arguing about that. <laughs> but that is not what we are saying here today. Systems of insurance, we've already brought up Singapore. There are other such systems. We you said that we shouldn't be looking overseas to see what systems better than ours. How are they? 4. 4. Yes. That's not what I said. I said in your mm. child is
4: not the point out why other country systems are better than ours. It's the point out how exactly specifically a healthcare system that is not great point piece is better than one that is.
3: And I've been
8: telling you that,
3: Calvin. Oh yeah. That is what we are missing here. The point is that the system, free the point of use, is failing. It's crumbling. It's tearing apart at the seams and it's only going to get worse. No, I have mentioned successive governments over the past few decades have only been pumping more and more government money, more taxpayers' money, into the National Health Service. This is what they've been doing. And it hasn't stopped the problems. We don't want us to have to pay for every single service that we have. We don't want it to be free at the point of use. Neither does this mean we want to be commandeered by private corporations. Neither does it mean we want to create a class system in healthcare. By the way, the kind that exists in the NHS, as it currently is, what we want is that we can make the system more dynamic. We can address what we've seen other countries doing, what can be done, and we recognise that making it free at the point of use isn't the be-all, end-all of an efficient healthcare service. Therefore, we can see through all these reasons that simply making your healthcare free at the point of use, as, by the way, it currently is not in the UK, doesn't actually solve the major problems facing, facing the health sector in the UK today. And for that reason, we absolutely have to take a new approach and oppose this motion today. Thank you.
9: Thank you and good evening Mr Chairperson, members of the Opposition and members of the House. No society can call itself civilised if a sick person is denied medical aid because of lack of means. To charge people when they're in hospital, seeing their GP, or in any way receiving basic, the basic humanity of essential healthcare is something myself and my colleagues are greatly opposed to. Society is defined by how it treats the most vulnerable. Now, you start off with some rebuttal, there were some points raised about cancer patients paying for uh, their own drugs, that's certainly not true. Uh, there was. It was also raised uh, by Mr. McLean that European countries are
3: better uh,
9: in some aspects of their healthcare. That is true. That's because they spend a much greater proportion, for the most part, of their GDP on healthcare. Personally, I think that's probably a good idea, so I'm all for that. So that's good to have some agreement across the house. And also, uh, Mr. McLean mentioned the Commonwealth study. There were, I think, 15 different measures in that study, and the NHS performed badly on three of them. Do you think those were the three that Mr McLean They were. On the others, we performed either first or second in the world. So for Mr McLean, do you
2: see these as evidence of the NHS is bad and simply cherry-picking other the well, not, so. um, You said it, turn up, because I can't speak to the nitros. I've got loads of articles here in The Times, The Telegraph, um, the Telegram, I remember that one, but it says terminal cancer patients. I, okay. think point. Yes, I think it was one specific drug was not
9: approved for use in the UK. That's not really getting whether one specific drug should have been approved for use in the UK. You're making it sound as if all cancer patients have to pay for all the drugs. That's simply trying to leave the house. Now, the proposition have also said that they're not wanting to go full privatisation to Mr. another type of here. They're instead implementing some charges. So let's see if that would affect the most. The very well off, those large incomes, won't even notice the charge, so it won't matter. The brunt of the suffering will fall upon the poorest in society, as well as in the case. It might seem ridiculous to some of us here tonight, but ten or twenty pounds to see a GP or uh, go to the emergency room is enough to put such a large barrier between some people and doctors and nurses that it simply wouldn't be possible for them to get past care. Anything that puts a barrier, real or imagined, however small, between sick people and doctors or nurses costs lives. That's something I'm not happy with, that's something the process is not happy with, and I hope that's something the house isn't happy with either. <coughs> Economically, socially, and even logically, it's ridiculous to charge the sick or those who have recently been sick for their health care, as by definition they are less able to pay for it. Illness is neither an indulgence for which people have have to pay, nor an offence for which they should be penalised, but a misfortune cost of what should be shared
3: by the community. On that point. Go ahead. But if you're going to keep the end up, please. <laughs> If you're, going, if you're going to keep the NHS free at the point of use, how are you going to mitigate the increasing cost of ever-increasing expense of healthcare? How are you going to keep that quality up with the increasing cost? Okay, well you raised the point of mitigating, uh, and you raised that in your speech as well, about
9: how keeping them free at the point of use won't mitigate the issues that are in the NHS. But there's a whole area, it's called Health Improvement Science, if that's the right term. And it shows how you can improve healthcare efficiencies. It's through small changes in specific things, and so whenever you add them all up, you get massive savings. What we need is healthcare policy that's based on evidence rather than the political point scoring of the current government and the past governments, and every single government seems so to be going along, as you pointed out, towards privatisation. So, to say privatisation or any charges will solve this as well just simply isn't true. And now, you can pin me a and call me Lenin, but I believe that, <laughs> that in a modern society it's economically, socially, and medically better for the cost of caring for the sick to come from the community rather than individuals who cannot pay for it precisely because they are sick. Now, it would be quite easy for the opposition to come out with some lovely figures debts and overspends that are so large that are practically meaningless. These are wrong on a couple of counts. Firstly, the numbers are misleading because they're shared sure over millions of people. And secondly, they're falling for the tricks of Jeremy Hunt, and I have to be careful how you pronounce that second name. <laughs> Easily made to say. Now, for years, we've seen governments come out with nice headline figures for investing this number of billions in the NHS. But the fact is, we're not investing sufficiently in the NHS. Compared to, as I mentioned, as the opposition mentioned, we're not investing in line with Uh, other healthcare systems in Europe, and that's why, on some measures, we're not performing as well. It's nothing other than propaganda for a radical policy of privatisation and moving towards charging. The NHS is not perfect, we're not trying to say that, but the centralised healthcare system is undoubtedly more efficient, to come on to your point. We know that healthcare costs and studies show that the British public are willing to support the NHS to cover it. There are many in this house and particularly in the outside of the room who, of course, love capitalism. I believe that the market is the answer to every single that <coughs> they face. Higher drives competition, and so on and so forth. And I usually agree with that point of view, but healthcare is different. And to me, the idea of people profiting from illness is deeply troubling. And it's not just because of anonymous insurance executives making millions.
10: On that point, go ahead. Our whole medical system is based on people profiting. Like- what do you think of the pharmaceutical industry actually now? That's all funded by private investors and competition. Like, right. we couldn't completely change that. Yes. I'm not really happy with the entire pharmaceutical
9: industry. I'm not going to stand up and defend that. But what I'm saying is that we shouldn't continue that trend in more areas. Yes, it is present in some areas, but that doesn't mean we still have to be present. Anymore. At the moment, the entire system is towards efficiency despite what the proposition, or the opposition, sorry, say because it serves the NHS better if they see people, have the issues dealt with quickly and efficiently and cheaply, and then have the person back to health. Whereas with a system, when you start charging either per consultation or per treatment, it becomes more profitable if you see that patient more often unnecessary, if you give them unnecessary treatments, if you give them unnecessary drugs which they have to pay for. It, the whole Incentives, that's what I'm looking for. The incentives of the system become wrong and perverse, and just, they do not help the health of the nation.
7: On that point?
9: Uh, you're out of time. Obviously. As decent human beings living in one of the richest, and can't just say, that one there, countries on earth, we have a duty to care for others, and the sex in society, afraid the point of use health care system makes sense medically, it makes sense morally, <laughs> it makes sense financially as well. Whenever you hear your loved ones are ill, you need to do the decent thing, keep the NHS free and point of use, and pass the motion. Thank you.
0: Close case for the opposition, this evening. The tap on the current session, is Chris. Oh, jeez.
2: I'm um, the type officer, but I don't actually know where to work with the title on this one. Is that a... Yeah, yeah,
5: I probably should. Let me help you take over that. Um, Since so he's much better up than I ever
4: was. Do you count? Yeah. Sir. So.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so, we have had so far an entertaining debate so far, and as my rule says, as the summarising final speaker, which you all should observe, get stick that in your head, that this is the rule of the final speaker, is to summarise the entire debate and not really try and introduce much more information. And I figure that's a good waste so of a sort of minute or so as I haven't got that much to talk about, so. Really? <laughs> 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 it's an important time to reiterate to the members of the House that the point of the debate is not to make free individual speeches but to work as a team. And indeed, we have seen some great teamwork from my side. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have seen so far from my side. The real establishment of the cult of the NHS. The, the establishment of, of... The idea of the NHS, that being free at the point of use, is an absolute religion. And we wish to challenge that. But we don't necessarily wish to challenge the NHS. Well, that Ryan have his hand <laughs> up first. Yes. Um, yeah, You're talking about challenging the idea of the NHS being free at the point
10: of use, yet you have, you have to put forward an alternative to that and to well, an argument for why it should be
5: made. If, if you can in A little bit of time, right? Uh, so <laughs> really, I'm not, if you don't think that there's been enough in the debate so far, as summarizing speaking, <laughs> that maybe leaves me in a little bit of a tight grind, but maybe I'll just cheat a little bit, essentially. Um, so essentially, uh, we have seen a number of things. We've seen some alternative uh, different manners in which uh, health care systems exist across the world, whether well, that's a German system, which is a primary uh, health insurance-based system, which, uh, as shown by Mr. McElhin, has a, a, immense advantages, we've seen various of things. Go, oh, I That is not Where was it Was in Indonesia? Oh, Singapore. 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 One of, one of most interesting issues on the planet. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting history, and an interesting form of government. Um, but, Actually does, but, yeah, it does. Um, so what we see here, so many issues facing the NHS today. So many very different and, and, and real challenges. And we see an NHS constantly under attack. And we aren't attacking the NHS, as I've already said. Depends, give me a little preview. <laughs> that was a good point. Sure. Here's you are saying about all these challenges based NHS. Could you please explain how charging is actually going to solve any of so these problems? Well, most of these problems seem to come from a lack of funds. And we may be able to make some changes, some evidence-based changes to the NHS, but we believe that there is a constant drive within whatever government we seem to try and appoint these days towards privatisation. And the issue with that is they're eventually going to want to charge. They're eventually going to want to try and nickel and dime you until we can get every little bit of cash out of it. And I've kind of lost my point here. I'm not going to take that. And I'm going to try and re-centre here for a second because lost the flow of the whole thing. You see, I'm not terribly used at the moment because I haven't spoken of well. I don't know, I only ever do comedy debates. I'm, some, I'm, some but I'm like Mr. Black, like, but i Mr. Calvin Black. I don't prepare as much. <laughs> <laughs> that point? Yes? Yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> but, we have a number of issues. So, we have the real question of with this ever march towards privatisation, <coughs> governments successively, for the last 20 or so years, 30 or so years, have constantly turned towards that, Yes. If it's
10: purely money that's a problem, which is the argument that the line that you are taking, why don't you just tax? Clare, Hi. on his <coughs> Are you familiar with neoliberalism <laughs>
5: Right, it's perhaps less popular than it used to be, but still a big show in time, unfortunately. But it seems it's inescapable and inextractable, and we must figure our way around it. And I propose that the best way around it is that not all services on the NHS should be free. And this, indeed, is the case. already. Right, if we look at the industry look at other things, it is the case, and Mr. You brought that up. And we just wish to extend this. We wish to expand this um, into various other non-essential, non-life-threatening, and not seriously debilitating diseases. We wish to
8: try it and charge all that. So what you're saying is... That instead of you know fixing people who have these not quite so serious diseases, which is kind of what they do for something the waiting lists, they instead just don't get them. So instead of having a waiting list, they just suffer. We all suffer.
5: <laughs> <laughs> we all suffer. <laughs> But essentially I have a couple of ideas which really I've sort of blocked my way through, but I actually have some things written down. For example, we're not exactly in favour of privatisation as a let out. We believe in well, one of us believes in a NHS, which is government owned, yet charges for some services, as it does now. Unless the proposition is proposing that we move to an entirely free dental system as well, then maybe that's, that's one reason that, that they're the proposition and proposing something. Um, because they are actually the ones arguing against the status quo, Mr. Ben Murphy. Um, <laughs> so to conclude, Yeah, I didn't put much to your effort I didn't me <laughs> ever, really. Essentially, who do you want being charged? Do you want corporations charging you or do you want the government? And I tell you something, I much prefer the government being a big statist. So that's it.
0: Chief, which for the opposition, office, for <laughs> Harbigan, of his exemplary, arrogant, summative speech the opposition, I would also like to ask if you all give a round of applause for our main speaker this evening, Mr. Mitchell Davidson. I will now move to round the questions to both sides. We're going to do proposition. Does anyone have a question for the proposition? Anything? Else? Come on. Told you they go far oh, too easy, oh, right?
3: Mr. Uh, Puckett. Okay. Yeah, I think we're um, all kind of in a moment, but as I think you actually said right yeah. here, the NHS is in crisis. So maybe I'm just going to say issues or whatever, or maybe I'm just trying to make a professional for the second awkwardness. But how would you pay for it then if you're not going if you are trying to keep it for an appointment? We have absolutely no idea what is going on. But that is not the point
4: of this motion. The point of the motion, as I defined it, was that a free, point use, health system, is bargain unpragmatic. math. better, yes, we don't know how to fund it. But neither. <laughs> if, if we knew how to fund it, then presumably the government would know how to fund it, and it would be getting funded. So no one has answered that question. So I think it's, it's slightly
3: side-checked, to, to get bogged down in financial questions which no one has answered Opposition? <laughs> Anyone else? How we fund it is integral to what this motion is about. And Calvin, I find it disgusting that you would just shirk this responsibility vaguely to the government. What we, as the opposition, have clearly stated is that we have seen from successive governments that there is a slippery slope towards an ever crumbling NHS. And if we keep it free at the point of use with no practical changes, as Mr. Black has suggested, then nothing will change and it will get ever worse. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, you're shambling now, Evan, <laughs> with, with, with your speaking style. I think that's muted in the reserve as <laughs>
9: well. Any questions for the opposition at this point? i In that second. Thing. <laughs> in the
1: second one <laughs> he criticised the proposition for not putting forward a solution to the problem but your whole speech wasn't a solution to the problem your whole speech was what is wrong with them and why the NHS in its current form being free at the point of use is an issue waiting lists etc etc of being your reasons but you haven't put forward an uh, alternative Not making it not free at the point of use isn't a good enough argument. You need reasons. For that you need explanations of how that's then going to be done to solve the issues. You can't just throw money at it. You've got to have a strategy for it. Ooh, that's to, well, it was directed to my yeah, i don't you
3: Well. But the point of my speech was was to say that we were a not advocating privatisation in health service, and what was outlined in John's speech as well as in Chris's speech was that we are planning on having government charges. We refer to the German system, or having it some kind of system of insurance, or how it's being charged by the government. The central point is, is that we believe it should not be free at the point of use, and we believe that as long as we are charging. For, as we've said, non essential services, not making the entire NHS be charged for either, will make it, on the whole, a much better system than simply allowing it to continue to stagnate, as was the only substantive point put forward by the other side of the house. Proposition would you like to comment? I agree that
9: there was was. a lack of awareness put forward because the Attempts the alternative or just do not make any sense, he said they're going to charge for non essential services despite the fact that's a meaningless statement, he said non essential things, that the same non but become essential because that's the nature of people getting sick, so we say you're going to charge for things, that really make sense and then we say, so we're saying, so we going to make small charges for these uh, certain things but then lose small charges for smaller things, we're going to solve all the problems in the NHS, we're going to make any difference whatsoever that doesn't make any sense either, so there has asking no no lack of alternative really because there isn't all.
0: Well. And so I don't have any abstain questions on the motion, any questions they'd like to sort of put to both sides, do you think they both could lucidate on a bit more? Or shall we go to another question from the opposition? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I a very nice any good point? What? Just, that, um, just a great point,
4: is that the opposition keeps kind of referring to uh, It's just us somehow kind of managing as a religious, you know, like the <laughs> combination. None of us ever use the word religion. I'm pretty sure. I certainly start from didn't. I have. i had no religion. There being some reverential thing. Um, and maybe, can I quickly see your Nigel Lawson quote? Just so I get I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so the edge is, is, is supposed to think culture. that the English people have no true religion. Right, that was said by Michael Lawson. A good no, man who no, named his no, no. doctor Nigella. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think we should be saying
9: no, 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 this man, but then, particularly us this area. No, is there no. Is there. No, Ben, where are you? i Yes. Yes. What? Oh, sure. No, no, Give <laughs> <laughs> your chance. <laughs> i <can't
0: remember>. have <laughs> a swiftly on this proposition. Have a question for the proposition? Yes. We do. Yes. Oh, oh, um, the second prop said that um, the
7: private sector provider reduces the amount of follow-up and causes his OK? I think he said. Whereas Peter said that prioritisation will mean that up treatment is pursued unnecessarily at cost to the patient. Um, who is right? <laughs> 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 well, I mean, it mostly it comes in terms of something being profitable, right? So if it's profitable
11: to pursue really pointless procedures which you can charge a patient out of the nose for then yeah, you could bring them in four or five times compared to checkups, so take five, ten minutes of the doctor's time to take the drug master points. In comparison, if you have some quite complex checkups or after treatment, like coming in, bringing someone in and doing extensive physiotherapy or doing any form of sort of rehabilitation like that, it might not be particularly cost effective for a private or to deliver that treatment, and therefore they might just happen to forget to so, remind the patient that they're meant to do that. So then, central both right, we talk about
2: different things. Well, I, I, I think these guys made it pretty clear that we weren't going for privatization, but I just have to bring up the Singapore point. <laughs> <laughs> a German, Netherlands, Singapore point, most of their healthcare is not for profit, run by not for profits, but that's irrelevant. Because we've already said that we're not going for private but it's government run we, we also go. don't really want to be that much like Singapore. But yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, any questions for the
8: opposition at this point? Mr. Solemn So you don't want privatization. So what I'm assuming then is you know you'll go into a hospital, you'll pay for whatever you need, you will give it to If you're paying for it why how is that any different? paying for it through taxes, and why would that give us a better healthcare system? Surely that just moves the costs from the poor people, from the rich people who pay for it now, to the poor people who can't really afford it.
5: So, I've remembered some of the stuff that i, I
6: <laughs> <laughs>
5: Yeah, and it, it actually is to do with this point, that we believe that if the money is going directly straight to the point of access, then we don't have to take the money, send it to way on up the food chain, and then filter it back down to the point of access. So that we remove these various layers, management and so on, and have the money going directly to that point of access. We believe that this can create immense uh, efficiency uh, fixes, and as we all have heard over the number of years, we need to cut management mm-hmm. in the NHS. That was a big <laughs> <laughs> okay. What was it? Okay, well, I agree with the point that there is some management that could, of course, be done away with. However, as Donald Trump
9: has said he has realised healthcare is quite complicated. <laughs> 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 and, and even if he can get his head uh, around that concept, I'm sure the opposition can as well. But, <laughs> Is the disabled, going to say oh it's a full management and only thing or straight adopters. You need to or, or you need to work out you need all or you need some management to work out who it's going through to, to say oh well, it's gonna be so efficient that's just not really a valid point. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 can I make just a point of clarification? Yeah, not really. I mean you should have done that And the round to your reply, right. so no. Uh any other questions or questions they decide, Mr. Joey?
2: Well, hypothetically, this could be the best thing to tie, but mostly to the opposition. It will be better not be one of these big future points. Three weeks in (laughs) a row. It goes on to Mr. Sullivan's point about uh, taxation. I don't want to discuss the merits of pay at the point of use versus taxation, but I do want to ask the opposition in particular whether they support progressive taxation, a progressive tax system. And I would like to ask, how would you, if you believe that you don't believe taxation is bad, how would you, how would you get
9: rich people or more people with greater means to pay a greater proportion of their income for the taxation for the medical care that they that they are to receive if they are to pay it at that point of
0: use? That uh, that sort of a, a neutral question proposition? Happened. The right replied to him. It said, "Well, how get a salad? You're responding first, then. So. So, we're, we're not responding uh, to... I'm so the the <laughs> first.
4: Yeah. I was am about responding first, by Yes. Now, not not going to lie, we, we thought that the opposition would be responding first, and so I was conferred with Mr. Beck. I didn't quite hear what was said, but I was. <laughs> Now
5: just recording uh, a well. hogwash, uh, and yeah. I going to go the next. <laughs> and, uh, opposition. Okay. You don't think stand up. Well, you I, to. I do in general just want to stand up, but, you know... <laughs> you well, know if, if you go, actually go. add something about you to say, yeah. that. you want to stand yeah. up I will like pick for You
3: <laughs> okay, so, you. Pick you pay. Pay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was it for a long effort. Okay, So what we are saying is the point of progressive taxation was brought up. Now this follows into one of the points I was saying, that we can better serve the health service. If putting the charges, if the charges are not for insurance, if we are charged for, that gives us greater control of where the health service is steered. It allows us to better suit the people who the NHS is being tailored for, whether that be me, or you, or Edwin (laughs) Poots. It means the things <laughs> it makes it makes what the central point that I was trying to make is that whenever we are charging for it, instead of having it done through taxation, when it is not free at the point of use, it's clear for all of those reasons that the NHS becomes much more fit for use. And that will take one more question for the opposition. I think. That's
6: No opposition. No. Well, actually, no. No, they haven't got it. Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. So,
0: uh, One well, last question for the proposition then. Um, After all, uh, 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 no, uh, what? Well, I mean, an <laughs> <the> opportunity actually <laughs> <laughs> <the> Yeah,
10: stating points <laughs> were biased. I think that. It can be. It can a good. can It can It can be. It can be. It can be. It can of It can It Ok so throughout the debate, and on both sides, people are criticising like, the cool of the NHS and people's pride in the NHS. But I want to propose to the house that people should be allowed to be proud of the NHS. Like, when the NHS was founded, it was post World War II, after the best Christian War, um, And it was an idea of like a kept society and a better society role. And I think people should be allowed to be and should be proud of them. Whatever is false, and it's not perfect, but we should be loudly proud of the principle that however much you earn, you should be able to access healthcare. Much- much- yeah, well, that's really right. Free. I didn't <laughs> have <that's laughs>
5: so, to. Be the of the proposition, so the opposition You see, pride in something such as the NHS is blatantly nationalism. <laughs> as we see, all
1: nationalism leads to
5: xenophobia. And you will see a defined debate later on this term, probably not featuring me, maybe actually. Um, and all nationalism leads to xenophobia. And we saw what happened with Brexit. We saw the cult members falling for it, the £315 million <laughs> For shame. For shame.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Dagger, something completely different. Uh, proposition? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I
6: can't make any of it. Out something I had. have some of my hijackers in terms of it. <laughs> <laughs> No
4: so we so <laughs> yeah. well, <first> <laughs> Now, I was gonna say that um, I personally I personally not being able to have the problem, personally not now that it's uh pride in anything really, but I would I would agree that you should have the right to be right in the NHS. I don't think that the opposition were saying you should be ashamed of the NHS. Uh, just basically let people do what they wanna do. I think it's a moral story. <laughs>
0: To to right. And that, I move the house to vote. The first vote of the evening. a Prior opinion. So what? Your opinion on the motion before you entered the room, were you in favour of it or were you against it? Did you not have a prior opinion? Uh, so to get to be able to vote before you entered the room, you were in favour of the motion. Uh, please raise your hands and say aye. Aye. Come on, come on. It's not very long, but I am actually constitutionally bound to abstain. It's a small talk. Really cowardly. I'm not going to stand And all those who are yet to motion before hearing the speeches this evening, please raise your hands. Nay. Nay. One too many. <laughs> <laughs> did not have an opinion on the motion before they ever drew a zoom in for the agreement to be the house and said, Meh, meh! Meh! Mm-hmm. One. What was he? i mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now for the, the binding. Don't rush me, OK? Mm-hmm. I I just <laughs> Now for the vote based on speaker ability, if you've got the proposition effectively laid out in their case this evening, they have effectively. Um, please raise your hands and say aye. I uh, Sorry, guys. So <laughs> all of you who thought the opposition spoke better this evening on our a case more effectively, please raise your hands and say, hey. <coughs> I didn't. I didn't hear that. <laughs> it is. <does. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> and if you both both sides, it's both equally well or equally poorly or equally averagely as well.
5: Or you don't want to express an opinion. Well, that right. is abstention. That is abstention. Neutrality is a form of bias. It's twenty seventeen.
0: You must have a strong. Everything. There is no. So, if you thought both sides go equally well, please you raise your hands and set. Again, say
5: again and say no.
0: no. <laughs> and on the poll of prior opinion, there were 22 in favour, one against, and five abstentions. Uh, with uh, binding for the binding vote evening, uh, 17 in favour. Trigger closing, the eight abstentions. The motion is carried. (laughs) Ladies, gentlemen, (laughs) countrymen, Romans, let's go to the pub.